Well, welcome everybody to Grace this weekend. Now, folks are continuing to come in, so be sure that uh, you make some seats available for them. Uh, I want to just uh, reiterate one of our um, uh, announcements. I want to uh, remind you again about that Ellet Campus interest meeting today at 3 o'clock at our Norton campus. So uh, if you're a part of the Seed Project, if you uh, were a part of 30 and 30, the series, uh, the launching of our Ellet campus is kind of the next church plant of Grace Church, and we would love for you, if you live out in that area, if you just like pioneering things, if you want to be on things from the ground up, uh, we would love for you to, to be a part of that, so take interest in it, okay? So three o'clock today at our, uh, at our um, uh, Norton campus. So again, welcome everybody, welcome everybody out in the cafe, everyone watching uh, live online right now, welcome to Grace. We're in a series right now that we're calling It's a Match, My So-Called Love Life, and I want to give uh, mom and dad, I want to give you a heads up. This is a PG-13 series, all right? Uh, so if you have a child here that's under junior high, just know we're going to be talking about uh, issues that are PG-13. This is your big chance uh, right now to help them go out and discover power kids. They'll have a blast in that. And I've given you fair warning, so if you have an awkward conversation in the minivan on the way home, that's on you, not on me. And uh, <clears throat> now you know ahead of time. In this series, we're talking about dating, and we, just, we talked about it last week, and if you weren't able to be here, go out to our website, graceoha.org, and uh, you can catch up on that or get a podcast uh, through iTunes if you want. It'll come to you automatically. But the, the premise of the series is this, that when we look at marriage, right, most people who are high school students in their 20s, most of us who would be single, we would look at marriage, and marriage is not something that we think highly of right now. Uh, so we would look at marriage. Almost all of us have been affected by divorce. Uh, the, the, the stats say 50% of marriages wind up in divorce. Of the 50% that survive, many of those relationships are not what would be perceived as, as attractive. So we look and say, yeah, they kind of stick together because they're not going to divorce, but they're not happy. They're not thriving. They're just kind of dependent on each other. Of the 50%, there's going to be a, a small minority of that that we would look and say, well, that's the kind of relationship I, I really want. They, they love each other, it's happy, it's sexy, it's sexual. Like, that's, that's what I hope for, but I rarely see it in marriage. Most of us, when we think about being with someone or finding someone, we think about love. And so we don't, don't necessarily say, I want marriage. What we say is, I want love, and I want to be in love with someone. I want to be loved by someone, and I want to be able to love someone. And when I read like God's definition of love, we would light up with it. Let me just show you this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up there. It's page 800 in the Bibles that are in your chairs, or you can use the Grace Church app. Uh, verse four, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians, God defines love. He says it's this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. And we would look at a definition like that and we would say that, well, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. I want that. Like I want somebody that is devoted to me, that gives himself to me. I can give myself to them. 
We can love each other. We're committed to each other. Uh, we're not even opposed to the idea of like growing old together. There's a, a romantic side of that that we like. But then we're, we would look and say, well, but marriage is that stuff. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in love. And what we're proposing is this. I, I wanna say to you that everybody I've ever married in my whole, I've been a pastor over 20 years. Everybody I've ever married thought they had found love. And they were confident of it. That's why they chose. That's why she said yes, right? That, that's why that was. And no one thought they found pain and divorce. What they thought they found was love. And what I wanna say to all of us who are single is this, that they thought they found love. They were looking for love. They dreamed of love. They have all of that in common with what you want, but they often wind up in a painful or unhappy situation. And I would say this is what else they have in common. They also dated the way that you date. They built their relationship off the same foundation that you're building your relationships off now. And so we just went back and said, what if, what if we started the whole thing differently? What if we started with a different foundation? What if there was a different way to date? Since dating is where we set expectations, dating is where we kind of like find the person we're gonna spend our life with. Uh, dating is, the, is that whole time that we build in habits in our relationship. If we dated differently, could we have a different outcome in marriage? And if we change the beginning, would we change the end? And so that's what we're talking about with this whole thing. Now this weekend, I wanna, I wanna show you some things here because I would propose this. I would propose that when we think about being loved and loving someone, that stuff that appeals to us, when we think about the fairy tale ending, what we're really desiring is a New Testament marriage. So the marriages we see, mo most of us aren't attracted to, but there is the concept of marriage, the definition of marriage that God put in, and we're actually longing for a New Testament marriage. If you like romantic movies, if you like fairy tales, if you know the songs of the Frozen movie, what you're looking for is a New Testament marriage. So let me show you that, and we're gonna talk a little bit about how to look for it when you're dating. So flip over to the right in your Bible, a few pages, to the book of Ephesians, chapter five. This is the, this is the part of the scripture that God uh, looks and defines New Testament marriage for us. And he says this, starting with verse 21, he says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's talking about marriage. That word submit means this. It means selflessly give yourself to each other. So selflessly give yourself to each other out of reverence for Christ. Now that suddenly sounds appealing. I'm gonna experience love, all the 1 Corinthians 13 stuff, and I, I wanna go through life with someone who selflessly gives herself to me and then I want to selflessly give myself to someone else. Now God is defining what we call a New Testament marriage. And then he goes on. Wives, submit yourself selflessly. Give yourself to your husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church's body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church selflessly gives herself to Christ, submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. All of a sudden, this is a beautiful picture. As a wife, I'm giving myself, all of myself to my husband, and God says, that is what 
creates a picture of how the church responds to God. And then it goes on. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Christ, what did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. So this is the picture. Husbands, with your wives, you die to yourself. You put aside your dreams and your ambitions and your desires and her well-being and her care and, and her happiness take the priority of your life. Now that sounds like a good relationship, doesn't it? You got a woman who is like, I will give the best of myself to you, and a husband who's like, no, honey, I want what you want. And you're gonna, I mean, anybody know a marriage like this? But this is the picture, right, that God is painting. I wanna give myself to you. No, I wanna give myself to you. I wanna serve you. No, I wanna serve you. I wanna be patient with you. I wanna trust you. I wanna build you up. I wanna be kind to you. I wanna take the First Corinthians 13 list and live it out in real time. And in doing that, when we have a New Testament marriage, what Jesus said, or what God says is, he says, what you do is you, you paint a picture of how Jesus loves the church and how the church responds to Jesus. And you do that by like living it out in a real relationship, loving each other in this context. He says this then in, the, in verse 31, he says, it's for this reason that a man will leave his father and his mother and become united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. To paint this picture, to give our, to submit to one another, to give ourselves selflessly to each other, that's why you get married. That's the fairy tale ending. That's the relationship that we're all longing for is this New Testament marriage. And he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. There's a spiritual then component to it of I'm doing this for these reasons and then I'm illustrating how Jesus loves the church and how the church responds to Jesus. That marriage is what we long for. Uh, that is, I would argue, it's woven into our hearts as part of being created in the image of God. And if I can love somebody like that and then make a commitment where we promise to give ourselves to each other for the whole of our lives and we're looking to outserve each other, we're looking to trust each other, kind to each other, build each other up, protect each other from evil, be faithful to each other, be devoted to each other. I grow old with that person because I want, I feel loved. And I love that that person's easy to love, right? That's God's picture of marriage. Everybody who ever said yes to marriage wanted that and believed that they had discovered that and yet most marriages end in divorce and even the ones that don't kind of linger around and, and if you're under 40, you don't have a high view of marriage at all because that, you know, churches get married, why? What, when they mean get married, what they mean is don't get divorced and it's all miserable. I want this and I would propose, so does God. If we're going to get that image, we're going to have to approach it a different way because what we're doing, the choosing process is not working well. If we changed it, could we have a different outcome? So this is the, this is the, the idea that I want to propose to you. If I ask you, why do you date? Most, pe most of us wouldn't have any answer to that. I don't know. He asked me out. She's hot. Right? And why do you date? It's prom. I need her to date. Right? Well, why do you date? If we got under that a little bit, we might say, well, for fun or for a hookup or whatever. Like, I just, just have something to do. 
And that's kind of why we date. And then our hope is that we kind of like stumble into a loving relationship and hope it lasts a lifetime, right? We're just gonna bump into each other. That's where the fairy tales are always made up. He's bumping into each other and I found my, my soulmate, right? I would ask this question. What if we deepened how we dated? What if we viewed dating differently? So here's the question I, I wanna ask you. What, what if I saw every dating partner as a potential marriage partner? What if instead of dating just to date, what if I did some investigation and some observation? And what if I thought about who I was dating in terms of spending my life with them instead of just spending the weekend with them? What if I thought of every dating partner as a potential marriage partner? Now, some of you I know are like, Jeff, I'm 17, leave me alone. I'm just going to prom, come on. You're I'm not talking about that, right? If you go on a date and the guy asks you to marry you on the first date, run away and get a restraining order. Like, there's, not, there's nothing good going on there. So I'm not talking about being crazy, crazy person dating. I'm talking we're two, three months into this, we're six months into this. What if we started asking some different questions? And what if instead of evaluating that person as do they make me happy, do we have fun, if I started to evaluate that person in the context of marriage, what if my todays changed so I could have a different tomorrow? Because everybody with a bad marriage that you look at evaluated their dating life the same way you do. So what if we evaluated it differently? Could we then have a different outcome? Would I be looking for something different in the person that I'm dating? Now, what I wanna do is this. I wanna give you five things to look for in someone you're dating, and these five things come from experience, okay? So I've been a pastor for uh, over 20 years, and I've done a lot of marriage counseling, a lot of trying to help people do marriage, which, uh, which is fine. I, w I want to help you. If you're struggling with your marriage now, let us, let us help you, right? I don't resent it at all, but this is what I found, that when someone is struggling with their marriage, I found that people basically struggle with the same five things. And the same five things, they, they happen at, at different levels of degrees, but basically all marriage counseling is around the same five areas. The exception to that is when someone is struggling with addictions or mental illness, okay? So there are exceptions to it, but when, when kind of normally healthy people are struggling with normally healthy people problems, we're usually talking about the same five things. So what I am saying is this, what if we dated with these five areas in mind? And what if we did our investigation and our evaluation of the relationship as if maybe I might marry them one day? How might that help me choose differently, make different decisions in my relationship and have a different outcome long-term, okay? So what are the five things? These are the five areas that I would encourage you to look at as you are dating and ask the questions, if I was gonna marry them, how would this play out and here's the five areas, okay? So here's the first one, we'll just go through it. The first one is this. I encourage you to evaluate purity in your relationship, and I don't mean sexual purity. So write that down and then let me, let me read you some scripture then we'll talk about it, okay? This is what I'm talking about. Verse 25, Ephesians chapter four. So right, this is all leading up to marriage. It's all the same context. God's writing, he's saying, listen, if you're gonna be my follower, if you're gonna be like me, these are the things you wanna look for in your life, and these are the things we're gonna look for in our dating relationships. So purity, verse 25, Ephesians chapter four, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. And your anger do not sin, do not the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. 
Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. When I am dating someone, I want to look at their life and look at our relationship, and I want to look for purity, okay? Purity in areas of, like this, purity in relationships. Are they honest in their relationships? Are they honest with me? Listen, if you're dating a woman or you're dating a guy and you're never quite sure if they're telling you the truth, if you're dating to them and you've heard more than once, I promise not to lie again, if you're dating a person and all of your friends that know them look at you and like, what are you dating that guy for? You need to run away. You need to evaluate that. If they don't have a good name, if their reputation is not one of integrity, if they're lying to you now while they're trying to woo you, what are they going to do when they have you? Right? So I'm looking for someone who is purity in the way that they interact with other people. They're truthful in the way they speak. I'm looking for someone who has purity in what I call offense. So the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger or in your anger do not sin. So the Bible actually does not say don't ever be angry. What the Bible says is be angry about the right things be offended by the right things. When something is ungodly, when something is unjust, when something is oppressing someone else as a follower of Christ, that ought to make me righteously angry. If I'm dating a person who's always mad about the wrong things, they're always upset with me. She's always ticked off, right? What's she mad about today? Who knows? It's a new day, it's a new set of problems, right? If he's always controlling you, if he's mad because I sent you 35 texts and you didn't answer me once, right? If he's always upset that you talked to that guy, if she's always jealous, I cannot believe you were talking to her. You were talking to her. And you're like, she's my sister, right? If, she's always, if, if it's always some piece of drama and they're always offended by things that aren't worthy of offense, Oh, man, you got to look at it. Is that going to get better or worse in time? Everything that's a yellow flag in dating is a red flag in marriage. It's always going to get worse. So I'm looking for that. I'm looking for purity in work. So those of you who aren't working need to start working. Lazy people. Listen, ladies, if he's 28 and he's living with his mama, working part-time at Chick-fil-A, and that's his life goal right? You better look into that. It, it, guys, if she looks at you and she says, I'm just looking for someone who will meet my needs and care for me for my whole life, you better find out what her needs are and what she means by care for you. You better put a square footage to that idea. Or you'll never make enough money. You'll never get hit. Ladies, if he doesn't have a drive, if he doesn't have an ambition, if he doesn't have a goal, if he's 28 working at Chick-fil-A and a master's degree, that's one thing. But if he's not moving, 
if he doesn't take initiative, if, if she's looking and she has an expectation, we're gonna have a big house and a big car and you're gonna have a big job. Well, you better know that up front, right? So there's purity. You're looking for a Proverbs 31 woman. We'll talk about that next week, right? Someone who is contributing. You're looking for a man who is mature and wants to work. Maturity in work, not laziness. And then you're looking for purity in speech. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Listen, if he is harsh, if, if he is crude, if he is one sex joke after another and you're always the punchline, if she is gossipy, if she's petty, if she's snotty, what she says on Twitter, what she says on Snapchat, all right? I'm looking for, because the Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth always exposes what you believe in your heart. And if that's the pattern now, right, then that's what you're gonna, so I'm looking, I'm saying, man, if I was gonna be with that sarcasm and cynicism for 25 years, if, if I was gonna be with, she's always mad at somebody, and that's going to be my life. If I viewed my dating partners as a potential marriage partner, how might I screen that a little bit differently? Here's the second thing. When I'm looking for someone that I might marry, so I'm looking at somebody that I might date, I'm looking for someone who's a maturing person. Look at this. Uh, look at verse 31, chapter four, same Ephesians. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I'm looking for someone who is working to overcome their weaknesses habitually. Like that's a life goal. Now, this is the thing. If you ever think to yourself, I found the perfect man, you didn't. You're living in la-la land. I found my dream woman. No, you didn't. You're just dreaming, right? She might be a nightmare. Is that a, what? Those people don't exist. There is no such thing. You are going to attach your life to someone with weaknesses because we all have them. We all have baggage. We all have bad habits. We all have wounds. We all have weaknesses. That is, that's the nature of humanity. What we do is uh, best is we sin against each other. That's what comes most naturally to us. So when someone is angry or they're, they're bitter or they're brawling, slander, malice, oftentimes that comes from our wounds and you're gonna run into that, right? The question is not whether that's a part of someone's life because it's gonna be. The question is, are they seeking to rid themselves of it and overcome those weaknesses and replace it with compassion, forgiveness, and love, which is something that Christ can do, okay? Is that what's going on or not? Now, you're going to be broken. Now, I just confess to you, I'm, I'm broken. I was a very angry teenager for a bunch of reasons in my life I won't go on to right now. I used to go and pick fights. I used to mock and be bitter and have fun doing it. That was very much a part of my life. When I met Heidi, I had just accepted Christ, and so it was still very much a part of my life. My, for my temper to blow up, something like that, it, it, it was not uncommon. Here's the thing. I wanted to rid myself of it. 
I wanted to rid myself of anger, rid myself of temper explosions, rid myself of bitterness. It's not that those things have never surfaced in our marriage, they have. But it's that I don't want that. I, don't, I feel like a failure. I feel like I've let the Lord down. I don't want those things to be dominant in my marriage, ready? Because I want Heidi to feel loved. I work hard to rid my life of those things because I want to work hard to love my wife. Now listen, if you're dating somebody and they look at you and they say, well, I'm just, just the way I am. I just have a temper. You have to love me for it. That's just the way I am. I'm just overly independent woman. You have to love me for it. Actually, I just don't talk to my dad. He's diphthong. I don't, I don't care about speaking to him. I haven't talked. My sister, I haven't talked to my sister in years. Can't stand her. Mm. A person who is not working hard to rid themselves of those things will not work hard to love you. We're not talking about somebody having weaknesses. We're talking about someone being immature. It's a very immature mindset that says, I am who I am. No. A maturing person says, I want to be who Christ wants me to be. And if you're not seeing it now, you're not gonna see it later. If they won't work hard to rid themselves of these types of things, they won't work hard to love you. you they'll just expect you to live with it, right? Instead of seeking to overcome it, to give you the love that you're looking for, right? That, that, there's no concept that I'm gonna selflessly give myself to you. No, you're so selflessly give yourself to me and just accept me. No, no, no. It's, I, we submit to one another, right? And so I'm looking for someone who is maturing. I want to see that in their life. I want to see them working against those things. If not, then maybe I need to evaluate. Are, are they gonna help that dream of love come true? Here's the third thing. I'm looking for someone who has a personal, passionate pursuit of Christ. Personal, passionate Pursuit of Christ. Let's read this passage and we'll talk about it here for a second. Uh, chapter five, verse one, here it is. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So I'm looking for someone who is looking to follow God's example and walk in the way of love. I'm looking for someone who has a personal, passionate pursuit of Christ. They want to follow God's example. They want, right, to, to walk in the way of love. They are desiring that. They're not looking for me to bring that out in them. They have like a, a self-motivation to do that where they're looking at the scriptures and they're looking at the, the, uh, what God wants and they're pursuing those things on their own. Now, why is this such a big deal? It's such a big deal because of this, ready? A successful marriage is between two people who are more committed to Christ than each other. You should write that down, somebody should tweet that. A successful marriage is between two people who are more committed to Christ than each other. Now you might say, like Jeff, I'm, I'm not even that committed to Christ, so this one doesn't apply to me. And I'm saying, no, you actually want this. No matter where you're at in your spiritual growth or commitment, 
you actually want a person who's more committed to Christ than each other. Now let me, let me explain why. In my relationship with Heidi, I want my wife to be more committed to Christ than me, right? Because I don't want to be the standard that governs Heidi's response to me, right? I don't want my behavior to be the license or the governor for her behavior. Because I did this, now she has the right to do this. I don't want a marriage like that, right? That's very important to me because I happen to personally know from experience that Heidi married an idiot, (laughs) right? I don't want her to govern her behavior off my behavior. I want her to govern her behavior off of her desire to be godly. If you govern your behavior off your spouse's behavior, you will go into a death spiral and your marriage will end. That's, that's one of the biggest things that I deal with in marriage counseling. Well, he did this, so I did, he had an affair, so I had an affair. He blew up, so I blew up. He did this, I, so I did this. Oh man, it's a death spiral. Because no one breaks out of the cycle. It's all tit for tat. And it starts off petty and it goes to the deepest things and it always ends in disaster. The only way to break out of the death spiral is when one person stops responding to the other person. If Heidi is frustrated or impatient with me, I don't wanna, I don't wanna use that as a license to be frustrated or impatient with her. I wanna respond to Christ and bring forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion to bear on the problem instead of bitterness and anger that she just governed in me. You don't want to respond to each other because you're both sinners. We want Christ in the middle of all that and a successful marriage is always two people who are more responsive to Christ than each other. And that's what you actually want. It breaks the cycles. It breaks the habits. It it, it breaks out the tip for that and suddenly something can be forgiven. Something can be let go. We can live in the moment instead of always keeping the record of wrongs. because I'm gonna forgive and love as Christ, as God in Christ forgave me. Make sense? So I'm looking for someone who has a personal and passionate pursuit of Christ, and that's what drives them more than their pursuit or the response to me. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing I'm looking for in someone that I'm dating that's a huge predictor of how it's gonna affect our marriage is this. I'm looking for sexual purity. I'm looking for sexual purity. Look at verse, uh, chapter four, verse three, chapter five, verse three. The writer says this, but amongst you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. In my Bible that word hint is underlined and circled. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. What is sexual immorality? Let's let's kind of pause here and, and define this. What is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is any thought, word, or action, any sexual thought, word, or action that is directed towards someone who is not your spouse. It's any sexual thought, word, or action that is directed towards someone who is not your spouse. God looks and says, sex is to be 
preserved for a promised relationship, which we call a New Testament marriage. In a New Testament marriage is the only place that we should be sexually active, thought, word, action. And we're gonna talk about why here in a second, okay? Now, when I say that, and I say that to like some sixth graders, what they'll, what the question always comes up is, well, how far is too far? What are we allowed to do? Are we allowed to hold each other's hands? Are we allowed to kiss? You're not allowed to do that with my daughter, <laughs> right? I have five sons and they'll get out of prison at 18, so I don't mind killing you at all, right? So, so are, what, what are we allowed to do? Are, are, we, are we allowed to hold hands? Are we allowed to get, here, here's a sexual purity rule of thumb for you, ready? Your hand, your eyes, and your mouth should not touch anything on the opposite gender that cannot be covered by a bathing suit. And I mean a real bathing suit, right? Your hand, your eyes, and your mouth should not touch anything that is covered by a bathing suit on the opposite gender, right? By the way, your eyes should not see any body part that should be covered by a bathing suit on the opposite gender. That's pornography. That's all that is. It's a sexual looking at someone with your eyes. So your eyes, your hands, your mouth should not touch anything that can be covered by a bathing suit of the opposite gender. All of that is preserved for marriage. Now why? Why is sexual, why does God talk about sexual purity so much? Right? Let's think about this for a second. God created sex. So he's not like this prude. He invented the whole thing, right? So why did God create sex? He didn't create sex just for procreation. So remember, he started with a blank slate. He could have caused procreation differently than he does. So sex isn't for procreation. Sex isn't just for fun. Sex outside of a covenant relationship or a promised relationship of marriage is greedy. It's not giving. So sex is fun in marriage. Sex outside of marriage is greedy. It's painful, right? Uh, why did God create sex? It's not a need. I need sex. No, you don't. You need food. You need water. You need oxygen. You don't, don't have sex for a week. You'll still live, right? So it's not a need. So why did God create it? What is sex? Well, the Bible actually explains it to us. Look here again, Ephesians chapter four or ch uh, chapter five, verse thirty-one. In that definition of marriage, we're serving each other. We give the best of ourselves and submit to one another to, to paint this picture of Christ in the church. Right? God explains sex, verse thirty-one. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. God talks about sex in a spiritual context. Why is sexual purity such a big deal to God? This is why. Because sexual activity, the, 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 the coming together of a man and a woman to form one body, right? Sexual activity is a unification of the soul, even more than it's a unification of the body. It's a spiritual act, right? That's why sex is such a big deal to us, and that's also why it leaves us in pain. 
Why do you feel used when you had sex and then the guy leaves? Why do you feel dirty? Why, do you, why, do you have, why are you insanely jealous when you have sex with her and then she has sex with somebody else? Why is that fire in you so deeply? It's not because of the sex act. Dogs don't feel that way. They're never like, I don't know why he doesn't call, right? <laughs> sex doesn't bond them. To, like when squirrels don't do that, oh, I, we lost him on the road. <laughs> so why, why are human beings that way? It's not the act. It's the spiritual, we're that way because we're created in the image of God. And it's for this reason to create the image of God's love for the church and the church's responsiveness to God that a man and a woman will become one flesh. Sex is meant to unify us spiritually. That's why sex is not a physical act, it's more of an emotional and I would argue a spiritual act. It bonds us to another person. It expresses deep emotion in us to another person. It refreshes us with another person. And you put it in the confines of a lifelong promise, sex is safe, sex is fun, sex is healthy. You pull it outside of that context and it has the exact opposite effect in our lives, right? So sex is a spiritual act. You should preserve it from within marriage. If you're married, you should have sex, right? It's like having devotions. You guys should have devotions, you know, multiple times a week, right? Spend a little time with God, right? It's a, it's a spiritual thing. God does not want that perverted. He does not want it to cause pain. That's why he talks about it all the time. You have to remember he created it. He's not anti-sex. He invented it. He is pro the promise. He wants to give you your dream of love. And he created the way in which you can achieve it. Now, this is what I would say in dating. Ready? Abstinence in your dating relationship will show you more about a person's character and selflessness than any other thing. Abstinence in your dating relationship will show you more about a person's character and their submission to you, giving the best of themselves to you than any other thing. If he will not wait for sex, if he will not protect you, if he will not work against evil, which is anything outside of God's parameters, if he will not wait for sex, he will not guard you emotionally, he will not lead you spiritually. If she will not protect you with sex, if she will not help you stay pure, then she will not help you move through the rest of your life and follow God. It is the, it is the leading indicator. Put abstinence in a dating relationship, you put sex in a dating relationship, it skews all the other filters. Because when you're sexually active, you think you're emotionally connected. You're not, you're just having sex. And all of a sudden, you get married, and you get down the road a few years, and the sex wanes, right? And you realize he never fell in love with my mind. She never fell in love with my soul. We were just into each other's bodies. Abstinence protects you from that. It causes you to fall in love with each other. And then in the protective relationship that God calls New Testament marriage, now, sex is wonderful, and it's free, and it's healthy, and it reinforces all that. 
Now, I know one of the big questions we're gonna get, I get is all this, well, how do, how do we know if we're sexually compatible then? How do we know if we're sexually compatible? Listen, every boy is sexually compatible with every girl. All right, let's go back to our seventh grade health class, right? So we're not, we're not talking about will it work. That's not the question you're asking. This is the question you're asking, ready? The question you're asking is, how do I know they will fulfill my expectations of sex? Now listen, I love you. That's a very selfish question. I have something in mind, and he better, he better make that happen. I have something in mind, and she better have that kind of a sex. It's a very selfish question, okay? And you don't want to marry somebody like that. Yeah, I do. No, you don't. Oh, I really do. No, you don't, right? Fellas, you don't want a woman that's just into your body. Oh, I think that would be great. No, you don't. Listen, we don't hold up as well as they do. We go fat and bald really early in life. And if she's just into my body and that's the relationship we built, I'm going to lose my body. Ladies, you don't want a guy that's into your body. Oh, I really do. I like that. No, you don't. Oh, no, you don't want that. Listen, babies in age take a real toll on a body. You're not going to have it. And if we build a whole relationship off of that and we never learn to love each other and we never learn to sacrifice for each other and we never learn to, you know the, the prime time that men are most vulnerable for an affair is when their wife is pregnant. There's no body. It all changed. Doesn't look the same at all. You want that? The place to filter that is in dating because if he'll love you and serve you and wait for you when you're dating, he'll do that while you're having his children. She'll do that when you get sick. We want love. We don't want sex. We want love. And sex is a gift that comes with it. The act of sex distorts love. All those people getting divorced, the vast majority of them were sexually active before they got married. Try something different. Try something different. And maybe we'll get a different outcome. Last thing is this. When I'm dating and I'm filtering, right, I'm evaluating, if I marry this person, what would it be like? We're just gonna deepen the dating a little bit. The last thing I could look for is this. I'm looking for spiritual oneness. Spiritual oneness. Let me show you this, this is fascinating. Now, verse 8, chapter 5, Ephesians. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. Now that phrase is a fascinating phrase because it has, it has different stratas to it. All right? So when I'm looking to find out what pleases the Lord, it means different things. Like part of the, the, the low end strata of it is this. Just find out what the Bible says and do that, right? Get rid of all bitterness, anger, slander, brawling, malice, like work, don't be lazy, all the things we talked about. That pleases the Lord, you find, you find that out. But then there's a deeper level of finding out what pleases the Lord that involves God's call on your life. So for each of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, there are certain things that God has wired into us. The Bible says that God has prepared in advance good works for you to do. 
And there are certain things that you and I are called to do that we know if we don't do these things, we are not pleasing the Lord. When I'm dating someone, I want to find someone who defines those deeper areas of pleasing the Lord in the same manner that I do. For instance, uh, when I was uh, dating Heidi, I knew that I was called to, to be a pastor by God. I knew that I would not please the Lord if I was not pastoring or in ministry in some way. It's very important for me that I found someone who felt the same thing. Heidi would say she felt called into ministry. So it was very important that I dated someone. Heidi and I talked about that when we were dating. I dated someone that viewed pleasing the Lord the same way that I do. Ministry is a very, I'll be honest with you, it's a very difficult life. It's a very demanding life. If Heidi didn't feel as called to it as I did, right, then we would be in trouble in our marriage, right? Uh, some of you feel called to be a mom, and you look and say, man, I, which, by the way, the Bible says is one of the highest callings. So you say, I really want to have a family. I dream of that. I want to have a family. I want to be a stay-at-home mom. It's, what I, it's, it's a wonderful thing to invest your life in. Well, you better marry a guy who agrees with that a person that wants kids. And then if you say, well, I really want to be a stay-at-home mom, well, you better marry a guy then that, that is committed to living on a one-income life, right? Because a one-income lifestyle is very different oftentimes than a two-income lifestyle. And if the two of you aren't committed to that, then one of you is going to be mad about it all the time. Uh, maybe you, you look and say, I want to be a mom, but I want to have a career, right? And that's fine. And, but you look and say, what I want to do, I want to make sure that our family is focused around serving the church. I grew up in the church. I want to be a life group leader. I want to teach science school. I want to work with a teenager, whatever. Like, I want to serve their, well, it's great. You'd be a two-income family. You don't have to be a stay-at-home mom, but if you're a two-income family, you better, marry, you better marry a woman who also wants to serve like that. You better marry a guy who defines things. Maybe you're real into evangelism. You say, you know, my big, I have a passion. I want my roommate to know Christ. I want the people I work with. Well, you better marry somebody that has that same passion. Or what happens is in marriage then, one person is saying, let's have the neighbors over so we can tell them about Jesus and invite them to church. And the other person is saying, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I really like our alone time. I don't want to get to know the neighbors. We can have them over, but don't, don't freak out with church stuff. See, all of a sudden, this is not two people who, like one loves Jesus and one doesn't. This is two people who view finding out what pleases the Lord differently. And this is a huge filter that you need to go through. It doesn't mean that the person you're dating is a jerk. It just means that they think of honoring God differently and that becomes a big, big deal. I was uh, teaching at a conference this week down in North Carolina, and uh, some young leaders, a guy raised his hand, he said, Dr. Bogey, he said, I have a question for you. He said, what's the most important uh, decision that you ever made in ministry? I said, I married well, bar none. I married well. I am who I am in large part because of Heidi, because of who I attached my life to. And ideally, in a healthy marriage, the reverse is true also, right? And when you have two people, and you look and say, 
I wanna pursue your dreams with you. I wanna take chances with you. I wanna sacrifice with you, right? When we started the church, Heidi was the breadwinner. She had to believe in what we were doing, right? I, I, I wanna please God with you this way. I wanna have a big family with you. I wanna, see how that works? So you wanna find that spiritual oneness where you're pursuing those things together. I love the way uh, Tommy Nelson says it. He says, when you're, when you're thinking about somebody to marry, this is what you wanna do. You wanna sprint as hard and fast after Jesus as you possibly can. And when you're in a dead sprint and you're serving the Lord the way that you feel called to serve the Lord, you wanna look around and see who's keeping up with you. And if she's cute, you know, get her number. I wanna go after Christ first and then see who's coming with me. Because listen, ladies, if you're dragging him to church now, you're gonna drag him to church your whole life. Fellas, if, if, you're, if you're running, but you're behind her trying to push her, get her to run, you better take your hand out of her back and just pass her. Or are you gonna be doing that your whole life? It's a big deal. If we want a thriving, happy, sexy, sexual marriage. They're out there. I have a great marriage. I have a wonderful marriage, right? They're out there. They're few and far between. I'll be honest with you. I agree with you about that. We just have to be honest about it. We have to set them up differently. And if we dated different, if we started at a different place, could we have a different outcome? Now we're asking this question through this whole series, what if I became who I'm looking for? What if I became who I'm looking for? And next weekend what we're gonna do is we're gonna take these types of principles, these are big filter things, and we're gonna start to really hang some, like put some skin on them. And we're gonna talk about uh, what, what if I became the woman that I'm looking for? If I became the high quality woman, I'm looking for a high quality guy, what if I became like that, right? And so I'm gonna take the next two weekends and we're gonna talk specifically to men and women. So next weekend, I'm gonna talk to women about becoming a high quality woman, right guys? We always get talked to, we kinda get thrown under the bus, so we're gonna start with the girls, I'm gonna do you solid, you're welcome, right? And we're, and we're gonna kinda say the things you're afraid to say, right? And we're gonna talk about how do I become a high quality woman, and, and so bring your women with you, and we'll help them out, because church works the best. You invite people the most when the pastor's gonna say something you want them to hear, because that's godly. So you bring some women with you, right? The next weekend, we're gonna flip it around, we're gonna to talk to men. And I'm gonna to talk to men about if you want a high quality woman, this is the man that you need to become. By the way, if you're married, you ought to implement everything into your marriage because if you wanna heal your marriage, help your marriage, change your marriage, you need to change, not them. Quit asking God to change them, start asking God to change you. And if you want a happy, thriving, sexy, sexual marriage, start dating in marriage and you'll be shocked how that changes your relationship. So this applies to everybody, okay? So we're gonna do that next couple weekends and then we'll, we'll go from there, right? Okay, let me ask you these questions before we wa wrap up our time together and the band comes out. Here's the first question, ready? Here it is. Why do you date? Why do you date? 
If you don't have an answer to that, then you just answered it. So what if you changed why? What if we just deepened it up a little bit? Okay, second question, how do you date? How do you date? Okay, if your relationship, if you look at your relationship and, and all of the things we just talked about are the opposite in your relationship, then listen, I'm not, nobody's mad about anything, I'm just saying, you're doing the exact same things that everybody else did, hoping for a different outcome. So how do we date? If we did it differently, if we abstained, if we moved out, if we spiritualized, if we deep, right? If we did it differently, could we have a different outcome? That's all I'm asking. And then here's the third one. This is the hard one. Who are you dating? Ladies, listen. If you look at your boyfriend and you put him against that grid and he doesn't even make the board. Fellas, if you look at the girl you've been with for three years, you put her against that grid, doesn't mean she's a jerk. It just means, and I know that for some of us, we have to have some very deep conversations. And for some of us, we have to have some painful conversations. We, need, we may need to break that relationship off put it on pause, move back in with our mom and dad for a while, right? Now here's the good news. The good news is because you're dating, you can reset, right? The good news is you can reset. It doesn't mean they're out of your life forever, but you have the opportunity to go back and do it differently. So who are you dating? Are they open to that? Are they committed to that? If not, why not? And what are you going to do about it, okay? All right. I'm going to pray for us as I do. The bands will come out, and uh, then they'll give us a little time and space to, to think some about all this, okay? So pray with me. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Father, this is about us. It's not about the person we're sitting beside. It's about what you've called me to be and the standard that I wanna hold in my life. And so Father, I pray that in the deepest parts of me, from the inside out, you, you change us as individuals. You help us to yield to you. You help us to commit to your truths and, and to build relationships that honor you ultimately. So Father, as we pray, and we have a few quiet moments here, I pray that you press deep into our hearts Help us to see the reality of who we are. Help us to see our relationships as you see them. And then God, ultimately help us to align our lives with yours. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.